Okay, everybody, we have a great show for you today. Anchor, the podcasting company's co-founder, Mike Mignano, is with us. He joins us for a classic throwback twist founder interview, you know, like I used to do in the old days. Well, you know, Mike, he founded Anchor and sold it to Spotify. He really helped define the entire podcasting space and level it up. Uh, and he was on the podcasting team over at Spotify for a couple of years. We had him on because he recently wrote an interesting article about RSS standards titled The Standards Innovation Paradox. So we had a really deep discussion about podcasting, Spotify and their role in it and product market fit, all this great stuff. And Molly and I will be back for the news tomorrow. I'm back from my rafting trip. I had a great three days on the river. I'll share some photos tomorrow. Uh, but Friday will be big news energy. Molly and I are back. Going to be a great interview. Enjoy it, everybody. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Helpware helps you outsource the tasks that slow your team down. From data entry to world-class customer support, Helpware can help make you bionic. Go to helpware.com twist to get $1,000 off your first invoice. LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash twist and Babbel. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash twist. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash twist. All right, everybody, next up on the program, we have a great uh, guest. Molly, you and I have been uh, doing podcasting since before podcasting existed. We did streaming shows back in the day. And I'm really excited because I believe our guest reached out to me. I'm not sure, but we were DMing some for some reason. And uh, I read a Medium post that he had written about open standards. Mm -hmm. And many of you know that Anchor is a podcast hosting company that's done very well and was purchased by Spotify that raised a decent amount of money and had a great exit. So February 2016, they raised 1.6 million in their uh, pre-seed uh, and did some crowdfunding, actually, very innovative for that time period. Uh, 2017, a $4 million uh, seed round at an $11 million valuation by Excel. And then in September of 2017, a $10 million Series A at a $40 million valuation by GV and Excel. And then in February 2019, what a great run. Spotify acquired Anchor for between 140 and 170 million. Reportedly, who knows? Uh, welcome to the program, Mike Mignano. How are you, sir? Good. How are you both doing, Jason and Molly? Good to see you. Good to see you nice as well. Nice to see you. I'm assuming you can't tell us what that number was. I am not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> we were, we're not asking. We're just assuming. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so yeah, let's yeah. just... However, let's just... congratulations, yeah. I think. Thank congratulations, you. Yeah. I should say. It was a great Thank round, you. just like Jason just said. Thanks. Yeah, so yeah, let's get right blast. into it. Um, uh, how come everybody at uh, Spotify hates Joe Rogan? No, we're not going to go in that direction <laughs> of questioning. We know that you just left <laughs> Spotify. Uh, but tell us uh, about why you made the decision to start anchor what did you originally yeah. see and then why did you make the decision to sell some people might say selling in february 2019 was you know fantastic but not maybe peak podcasting which seems to still be growing massively so take us through those two inflection points why you started it and why you sold the bookends yeah for sure so why we started it basically i had become um really excited by this this notion of the democratization of creativity. Uh, I had worked at a company called Aviary. I don't know if you all remember Aviary. It was a photo editing platform back in the day based, based in New York. Um, I ran product there. The whole premise was, hey, we want to make it really easy for people to take and edit photos and be creative. And so we had a photo editing SDK that you that you could plug into any product that enabled you to unlock photo editing, basically. That company uh, sold to Adobe. And I was at Adobe and my co-founder, a friend of mine who was also at Adobe and Aviary with me, we both got really into podcasts. This was like 2014, um, kind of when everyone else in the world was getting into podcasts. Um, you know, as, as cliche as it may sound, like Serial got me into podcasts, not going to lie. Serial, uh, Grantland Network, you know, I was listening to the startup podcast and we saw it sort of taking off as a medium, but when we went to go try to create podcasts of our own, we found it to be extremely difficult. 
uh, you know, you, you both have been podcasting for a long time, so you know yep. what goes into this. The expensive mic, the, you know, the, the, the software, the distribution, all of it. It was hard. And we had just spent a bunch of time, you know, making photo editing on a mobile phone really easy. And we thought to ourselves, well, why isn't it just as easy as taking and editing a photo, uh, for podcasting? And that was really the basic premise for Anchor at the beginning. It was let's democratize audio. You know, the, the company took many twists and turns along the way, a couple of pivots along the way. Uh, happy to get into any of that. But, um, but that was the basic story. It was like, Hey, let's democratize audio. That was the, uh, the, the inspiration for starting it. It's so <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by the realization that, you know, like Jason, you know, we were all doing some version of live streaming. We really officially started podcasting. I did at least at CNET in 2005. And it was not until 2014 that someone came along and was like, this should be a lot easier. <laughs> How, which, whoo, no First kidding, 10 man. years were rough. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But, but what it makes me wonder is how hard was it to make it easier? Yeah. So what's funny is when we first started it, we, we were like, oh, podcasts are heavy. They're complicated. They come with baggage. They're 50 minutes long. They need to be lighter weight. They need to be interactive. They need to be more shareable. And so the first few versions of Anchor were actually a social network. They, we, we weren't even using the word podcast. Podcasts were our inspiration. But we, you know, we were inspired by, you know, Snapchat stories at the time was, was, was everything. Um, you know, Instagram was obviously everything. And so the first few versions of Anchor looked almost more like Instagram and Snapchat than they did podcasting, which was cool because, um, first of all, it, it was, it was cool to be in, to kind of innovate on the format and let people, uh, do things with audio that they couldn't necessarily do over RSS. And, you know, if I, if I think back about the success of Anchor, in many ways, we needed to do all that stuff to go out and be able to fundraise, which ultimately led to the pivot to do podcasting, which we did because we found it was impossible to get people to download Anchor to listen to audio content. People were already listening in Apple. They were already listening in Spotify. Once we made it easy for people to make audio, it was impossible for those creators to get an audience on our platform. And they said, hey, let us distribute to Apple. Let us distribute to Spotify. And and once we did that, that really unlocked a lot of growth. But that was, you know, that was to your question, Molly, like that was that was a three-year journey. You know, that was three years of, you know, being in the woods and iterating and finding some things that worked and some things that didn't. So it was hard to sum it all up. Well, it mean, was hard. It, yeah. And it, and Mike, a lot of times founders will look at the interface, they'll look at the user experience, which yeah. is a great place to start, and say, Hey, let's innovate here. Wow, there's yeah. so many ideas, right? And it, it's very rewarding to do those ideas. But when the infrastructure hasn't been built, and all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second, people can't, we, we don't even have a foundation here, people can't even get their podcast up and running. So at some point, you had to then say, Oh, all the sexy fun stuff. You had to say to your team, we're not going to do that. But we're going to yeah. become plumbers. <laughs> and we're going to really put in a great plumbing system here. What was the business model? And then how did you get your team to navigate? Hey, uh, I know I told you we're going to like change the world. It's going to be like super cool features and all your mock-ups. Like just put all those on hold and everybody go under the house into the crawl space with the dirt and the rats and the snakes. And let's work on that boring stuff. Yeah. I mean, so uh, what I can say is, you know, when I talk to a lot of startups, so I, I invest in a bunch of startups now as an angel. And one of the things I always look for is I, I really always want to make sure that the founders, obviously, maybe obviously in the team are very, very mission driven. Because um, to pull off a pivot like the one you just talked about, hey, let's not work on the fun stuff. Let's work on the boring stuff. You have to really believe in the mission to be, to be willing to sign up for that. Like, it's not about the exit. It's about, you know, changing the world in the way we promised from the beginning. And so fortunately, we had a small and really mission-oriented team. Um, and when we said to everyone, hey, you know, we think what people really want is to make podcasts. They don't want to make this anchor format. But but the good news is we think we know how to actually do that for them. Let's do this instead. Uh, we were really fortunate to have an excited and supportive team that was more concerned with the long term mission than I were. I think uh, some of the some of the fun near term interface stuff. But the you know the the sort of like breakthrough that that uh, made us realize that this is what we had to do was we were doing we were doing our own format inside of Anchor. 
We were letting people make audio. We were make, letting people interact. It was really creative. It was really fun. And like I said, a bunch of people were saying, hey, I need to be able to put this on Spotify and Apple Podcasts because uh, that's where my listeners are. So we basically said, hey, most of our users don't know anything about RSS. They don't know anything about distributing to Apple. What if we just did that all for them? What if we let them just tap a button? And with the tap, tap of a button, they would appear on Apple Podcasts. And when we did that, that was sort of the light bulb moment for not only the users and finding product market fit, but for the company. And that was when we realized, oh, wait a second. Uh, if you take this process that's super opaque and complicated and technical and you make it magical, that can, that can unlock a tremendous amount of product market fit and, and product delight for, again, a type of creator that we saw that was growing very, very quickly. And, and that was sort of the turning point in the company. I don't know if that answers your question. It's a great answer. Actually, really good answer about you know, the mission can keep people engaged when things aren't fun, right? Yeah. Or <laughs> and when you're still when there's uncertainty, which a lot, you know, which sometimes employees have a hard time with. Yeah. How what was the monetization strategy? Like who were your customers and who paid you? Yeah, sure. So I mean, you've both been podcasting for a while, so you probably know this, but maybe for the listeners that don't know, I'll, I'll set some context. So before podcasting became easy. Um, it was really hard and you had a lot of different providers of podcast hosting in the space. So the market was very fragmented because it was actually, this ties into probably what we'll talk about uh, later with the, the piece that I wrote around standards. Mm -hmm. Um, basically there was a lot of fragmentation in the market, a lot of different players powering podcast hosting. Um, as a result, between that and the poor analytics that podcasters can get through RSS feeds. There had never been uh, a great way to advertise on podcasts at scale. There was no, there was no platform. There was no solution for sort of rounding them all up and selling them to advertisers. Well, when Anchor really reached scale and it happened very, very quickly once we did this, this distribution thing I mentioned, we quickly became the biggest podcasting platform. We all of a sudden had, you know, the vast majority of all the world's, world's podcasts on our, on our platform. And we realized, wow, this could be a way to launch a marketplace to connect advertisers with an ocean of podcasters that otherwise normally would never be able to attract advertising because they're too small. And podcast advertising is uh, too manual because of the limited data that I mentioned. So the business model was we launched a pro actually, we launched this only right before we sold to Spotify. We launched a business called uh, Anchor Sponsorships, which was that exact marketplace that I mentioned. We basically enabled advertisers to buy big campaigns that spread across, in some cases, thousands of podcasters uh, for advertising. You think podcasting works best when the hosts read the ads or when it's just dynamically inserted? So I can tell you it definitely works. It's more effective as an ad unit when the host reads the ads, but there's so much friction in that process. I don't just mean the friction of recording the ad. There's so much friction with the tracking, the recording, the brand safety, et cetera, et cetera. It's way harder to scale. And so I think for podcast monetization to ultimately reach scale, you probably have to do some form of programmatic or maybe some combination of the two. We'll let, uh, we'll let Spotify, my former employer and yeah. YouTube figure that all out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think like on a per unit basis, I think the host red is more effective. I just don't know how realistic it is for that to scale to everyone. Well, it won't scale to every podcaster, right. but advertisers can skim the cream of the top. 25 sure. or 100. I mean, I, I, it's funny to hear everybody read. Uh, there are some ads that they want read verbatim. Uh, yeah, and totally. I, re I read 10 to 15 podcast ads a week for the last couple of years. And it's very interesting when I hear other podcasters read a specific ad read that no words are allowed to change. And it's just right. interesting. Or like <laughs> me and Bill Simmons both have done, you know, some of the fantasy sports ones. And then you have a yeah. huge disclaimer at the bottom. And I, I hear Bell Simmons doing every state where you can get help for your, you know, gambling issues if you ha if you happen to have them. And I thought it just it's pretty comical, Molly. It's funny. <laughs> and then, do that but, stuff. But I'm so, sure you also have advertisers yeah. that don't want you to follow the script at all. Right? Oh, no, and they like, want you to freestyle. Just go nuts. Most, yeah, 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 yeah. Which are great ones. Yeah. So, Those are, that's the best ones if you do that. Yeah. You hear me say this all the time, but it is so true. Time is money and money helps you keep your startup alive. So that's why you need to check out Helpware. Helpware calls itself people as a service. Basically, they're going to help you outsource all the tasks that are slowing your company down. 
from mundane things like data entry or to more complex tasks like world-class customer support or AI operations. Here's an example. Imagine you're a product-focused startup executive and your schedule is perfectly optimized at the start of your day. Your tasks are scheduled, meetings are booked, Zoom links are sent, and all you have to do is show up and focus on what matters most, the product. This is possible with a Helpware scheduling assistant. And Helpware is a worldwide operation. They have 13 global locations and they cover 26 languages. So bottom line, you're gonna save tons of time and you're gonna become bionic with Helpware. Like I do a lot of this stuff where we're researching potential targets for advertising. You can use Helpware to do all that stuff and it's gonna scale up nicely with their teams because they've already pre-vetted everybody. You don't have to do all that work. So I want you to go to helpware.com slash twist, H-E-L-P-W-A-R-E.com slash twist for $1,000 off. I do want to, so you had, I mean, again, we're talking holy grail stuff, right? For 10 years, Jason, me, every producer on earth, Jason Howell, who's now, who was at CNET and is now at This Weekend tech i think who but has like forgotten more about podcast publishing right than anyone will ever know we're all waiting for these two things one button publish and dynamic ad insertion google ads for audio and then this is the moment that you sell to spotify when you have <laughs> finally cracked the nut you've blown yeah. this sucker wide open how come why, why, I then? Yeah. why then why did we sell and did that make them want you more <laughs> but really more why did you sell i'm not gonna yeah. put two questions in there i only have one sure. question. <laughs> I mean, I wish there was like some, um, some crazy story here, but the truth is we, we had spent a lot of time with Spotify. We had also spent a lot of time with a lot of the other players in the space. Let's say I won't name them. Um, I'm sure you could figure out who they are. And we really believed that there was probably no better company to acquire anchor ever, like not just at that moment, but in the future than Spotify, Spotify believed in podcasting in the same way we did. And it was clear they were investing in podcasting very, very aggressively as they, they put their money where their mouth is, obviously, after that, you know, with all the acquisitions and the investments they made. And, um, and the other thing I'll say without saying too much is like, if you think about our business and what I just told you, we did this thing where we distributed to all these other places like Apple and Spotify. That is like the textbook definition of a business that has platform risk right? You're building a product and a solution in someone else's backyard. And those businesses can be disrupted. So I think between the potential we saw to deliver on the mission with us and Spotify, because we had the same mission, the potential to eventually be disrupted, and um, the the unknown of the future. The, the other thing, actually, which I realized coming into this, I've never revealed before, but I'll just say it now. We, we, we also had a term sheet for our Series B on the table at the same time from a mm. great investor. We were, we were like, we were comparing the two. We were like, should we go raise and go big or should we team up with Spotify? And I don't know. Maybe it's because we were slightly older founders at the time. We, you know, we had kids. We were like, we weren't young and crazy. Um, yeah. We said the Spotify thing seems to make the most sense. Uh, we're going to do it. It was great for us. It was great for our investors. It was great for Spotify. I would argue it was great for podcasting. But yeah, we didn't, you know, we'll never know what was behind door number two. Did you run a, just, you know, for the founders listening who wonder how these things go yeah. down, did you run a process? Did you hire a banker? A and how does M&A work? W were you like in contact with Google, Apple, all the major players over the years, Microsoft, whoever was bouncing around because you had to do work with them, right? They, Google's got a podcast, yeah, Apple's sure. got a podcast, right? You have to basically work with them. So you meet people and were they like kicking the tires and you're having lunch with them or did you run a proper process and hire a banker? We did not hire a banker. You know, people proposed that to us, but I, I had always run all of our different transactions and I just kind of felt, I don't know, I just felt most comfortable doing that. Sure. But I know that there are some founders that don't feel comfortable doing that. If, you know, a friend of mine just sold his business a few months ago and they hired a banker and it was great. So I think it depends. Um, I also, I had, I had a great relationship with Spotify. I had a great relationship with Daniel that we built over the course Got of it. several years. You know, it wasn't, I think a lot of founders think that big company just knocks on their door and says, hi, we'd like to buy you. Um, and, you know, as you both, I'm sure know, that's not how these things work. They, 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 it takes years sometimes to lay the foundation. So, we had laid the foundation and, and talked to Spotify over the course of several years. We were, as you mentioned, also talking to all the other players. Again, I won't name them. And um, we just felt that Spotify was was going to be the best home. How's that go down though? Daniel just calls you at some point. You're having lunch <laughs> with Daniel and he just says, hey, listen, here's, do you guys want to sell yes or no? 
Did they just put it now, out there well, or like some BD mid BD person says, Hey, do you guys want to open a dialogue about that? How is that subtle? Like we want to propose to you, but you know, we don't want to be super crude about it. That's like yeah. the moment everybody wonders about how does that go down? Where were you when you got the kind of overture, let's say? Yeah. So, um, it's <laughs> funny. It's a good story. So, well, I know actually, it's a good story for every founder. It's a great story. <laughs> it's a <laughs> great story. Be, I'm come on. I'm trying to figure out what, what I can say. Yeah, you can just I, give I, us one thing broad I, strokes. Broad strokes. One, one thing I will say, and I have no problem saying this, is the first time I met Daniel Eck, he just cold emailed me. Um, yep. And that was right after the first version of Anchor launched. And he just, the earliest, when it wasn't even a podcast thing. And he said, hey, I like your product. I'm going to be in New York. Let's hang. And Sweet. I just... Went to go talk to Daniel. And yeah. the funny thing, um, you know, we had just launched Anchor. I had never launched or started a company before. So I was, you know, I was de definitely a bit like starstruck by the fact that Daniel Leck, the CEO, was reaching out to me. I said, yeah, I'm in New York. Let's hang out. What I, what I didn't tell him and only told him later after they acquired us, like three years later, was that I was actually on a family trip in the Virgin Islands from my <laughs> mother-in-law's 70th birthday. And I said to my mother-in-law and my wife, I'm like, I have to go back to New York. And they're like, what are you crazy? You're leaving. <laughs> and I'm like, I gotta go hang with Daniel Eck. What do you want me to do? Um, nice. That's That's a legit entrepreneur move. It's it really like, is. Yo, you're here? Oh yeah, sure. I'll just, yeah. and you just do the 24 hour turnaround because that meeting that is like, uh, could be a seminal moment. And it turned out sure. it did. Yeah. Yeah. And so then to answer your other question, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to get too specific into the why or the what, but like there were over the years, other conversations that Got happened, not, not just between me and Daniel, but other, let's call them sponsors within the company, people Got that it. wanted to achieve certain things, product leaders. Hey, Mike, you know, we know we've talked in the past, maybe we could work together on this, maybe we could work together on that. And then when we ultimately did choose to uh, sell the business, it was, uh, so, so my boss, who I reported to at Spotify for a couple of years, uh, Gustav Soderstrom, chief product officer, chief, chief R&D officer, had reached out and came to visit us uh, at our office. And we spent a bunch of time together. And basically, out of that time spent together, I think the, like both of us had the light bulb moment where we were like, oh, we should put these two companies together. This and is just going to make sense. This much. is the key that people don't know about M&A. So there's top-down M&A. Oh, Daniel X, you know, just meeting people and you know, being the, the elder statesman, as it were. But then, as somebody told me when I saw Weblogs Inc., like, who's your rabbi in Time Warner? And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean. Who's your champion? Who's the person yeah. who yeah, is yeah. going to own this after the sale happens? And it turned out there was a guy named John Borthwick, who turned out to be my rabbi at Time Warner, who when people were deciding to buy Engadget, Autoblog, and all that stuff, there it is, Baitworks. You know, John um, said, yeah, Jason's the real deal. You should totally buy that company. Um, and you had people like that who were the ones who needed your software, who would get the benefit, so then they can convince the CEO, the board or whatever and say, hey, this is a viable transaction. Here's why this is better than us building it ourselves, right? Because that's, exactly. that's what you're up against. Uh, totally. Build or buy. It's always build or buy. That's, that's basically what it comes down to in, with these things. By the way, quick shout out, since you mentioned Betaworks, yep. Betaworks was actually the very first check into Anchor. No Really? Wow. Yeah. So I was I was at Adobe, I mentioned, and we were building Anchor nights and weekends, having a lot of fun. And my co-founder and I had never built a company before. But, you know, I'd heard from, my, from all my friends that had, they said, look, fundraising is a full-time job. They're, they're like, you, you sort of have to decide up front if you're going to go fundraise and start your company or if you're not. And I was fortunate enough to get invited to go demo at Betaworks. They used to do this Thursday demo night thing. People would yeah. come and drink or whatever. And I demoed Anchor and I had never met John Borthwick, but he came up to me and he said, hey, we've been trying to fund something in the audio space. This is really interesting. Let's talk. And a few days later, John was like, look, if you're looking to leave your job, I can write you a check, 100 grand right now, friendly terms. You can quit your job. And then in a few months, you can go out and raise your proper round. So that's what we did. We, we, we took that check, quit our jobs. Was that, when Peter, was that when Peter Rojas was there from Engadget and he was doing the audio? like focus stuff. He was so early on audio. Did you meet Peter? He Rojas had just joined. Uh -huh. Yeah. Peter had just joined right around that time. Um, he joined John and another partner there, Matt Hartman. Uh, John and Matt had just done the, John and Matt did the investment in Anchor. And then around the same time they did the investment in Gimlet. So they did both a content company, 
Gimlet and they did a, you know, a technology company with Anchor, both in audio. I actually think they've made other bets in the audio space around that time. Okay, listen, take it from me. The summer is a great time to grow your small business. Why? Lots of people are taking vacations, summer Fridays, things like that. And you can out hustle them with your team. And LinkedIn Jobs is going to help you find the right candidates faster. Your first job post is always free, so there's nothing to lose. Now, you know LinkedIn Jobs. It's the best hiring platform out there, and we use it all the time. What makes LinkedIn Jobs so good? What makes it so special? What's the secret sauce? Well, it's obvious. It's the world's largest professional network with over 810 million people. I think when I started reading these ads a couple of years ago, it was like three or 400 million. They're going to go right past a billion. You can be sure of that. And you can create a free job posting in minutes. That's the best part. You could add that little purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile. So all of the people following you know you're hiring. That is the magic. And screening questions, they help. So it's very simple. LinkedIn Jobs is going to help you find candidates you want to talk to, and it's going to help you find them faster. Every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. Go to linkedin.com slash twist, linkedin.com slash T-W-I-S-T, and you're going to get your first job post for free. Terms and conditions apply because they're giving you something for free. How come the other major players, Google and Apple, haven't just created a hosting company to host podcasts? This is kind of strange, right? Yeah, I think Amazon recently bought one. I think they bought uh, maybe Art19. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, like, Amazon is buzzing around. I, I can tell you so, that yeah. firsthand yeah. experience. But it's really Apple. I mean, I think we're going to get here in a minute when we start talking about your standards <laughs> uh, piece that you wrote in Medium just recently, right? July 12th, mm-hmm. so post-departure. Um, but I, I do want to go, as long as we're sort of diving into the past, I do want to go into this Apple question because I you yeah. could, there is a strong argument to me made that the reason it took from, you know, when we were podcasting in 2005 until Anchor in 2014 to make some progress in this medium is that Apple kind of just kept this baby in a cage for a really long yeah. time. Look, I don't, I don't know why Apple does what they, what they do, obviously. I mean, from, from the outside looking in. If I look at all of different uh, Apple's different business lines, podcast seems quite small, even if they were to get it to scale, right? I mean, I'm just speculating here. Maybe it's just as simple as that. I don't really know. What I mean, what do you both think? Apple's slow with software. I mean, Apple takes their time. Um, and so their pace is not going to be uh, the same pace as, you know, Overcast, you know, or yeah. Spotify. So like Overcast Spotify. will... Yeah. Yeah, Overcast will go fastest because they're the smallest, nimblest. They'll have better features than Spotify's player. Then Spotify, we'll see what Overcast is doing and come up with their own innovations. They'll go faster. And then Apple, their you know, design, uh, they, they really want to get everything perfect and they're going to go slower. And uh, like you said, how big of a priority is it when AirPods are making tens of billions of dollars in profit? And it's hard to make a profit from podcasting, I think. And so for them, it was like a nice thing to do. And then they know if anybody wants to be avant-garde and do really interesting stuff, that's overcast business, you know? Okay, or Spotify can, you know, be somewhere in between the the absurd power user and the average, you know, Apple iPhone user. And then Spotify may want to be somewhere between those two, right? In terms of their interface and what they provide. So yeah, I mean, I think- That'd be my uh, guess, right, Molly? uh, Yes, I think being 20 years slow with software is different from, you know, I mean, it's like, I think podcasting is not a business that Apple cares that much about. And it became this catch-22 for the industry that's less about Apple and more about what you were saying, Mike, just now about distribution, right? Apple was the biggest distribution gorilla by far for this whole time, but it's not a business they care to be in. They're not going to be the ones who, you know, take this open standard and turn it into a publishing platform or a proprietary platform for, you know, making great podcasts. They're just kind of like dinking along with it. But the distribution power prevented anybody else from getting into it in a real way, I think, for a really long time and innovating. Funnily enough, they are starting to do more here now. Um, yeah. I'm sure you both know they have, they have, uh, I don't know what they call it, that, you know, they have subscription podcasts, which are, yeah. as far as I can tell, a proprietary format to Apple. So maybe they are starting to do stuff now. Maybe, Let's talk maybe, about that one. Yeah, the, competition. The, the, so yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the paid thing, because uh, we, we looked at that. We had done a Patreon, but, you know, advertising is just doing so well for us. 
Yeah. Uh, that why bother uh, charging our customers and our customers don't seem to mind the ads because we read them and they're 75 seconds. So it's, it's not a, a big problem. But do you think that's going to work? Do you think people want to pay for podcasts? I think it's possible. I think it probably depends on the format, on the creative format. I, I agree. Something like what you both do, to me, it, advertising makes all the sense in the world. You publish almost every day, high volume of content, high high listenership. That's a perfect opportunity for for scale and for advertising. I think subscription podcasts probably lend themselves something um, that's maybe a smaller, more niche audience that is willing to pay, maybe something that's multi-format where you're subscribing in one place and you're getting access to a bunch of different content and a bunch of different mediums. Um, I think we'll see. But I, I do think, and what I've seen, you know, based on my own work is that creators want monetization flexibility. They want to, you know, they want to have a choice between advertising or subscription or patronage or whatever it might be. So I, I think we'll see. It's still super early, but um, I, I do believe that uh, if you give creators the tools, there will be there will be some that will find really compelling ways to use them. Yeah, I, my theory on it is there is a group of podcasts that are so risque that they're that's true. The advertisers <laughs> don't want to deal with it. So my friend Sam Harris, who I got into podcasting when I lived yeah. in LA, and I encouraged him to start the podcast and helped him do it. You know, he was talking about you know, atheism. Uh, can you imagine what some religious group that <laughs> is offended by that? Or he's talking about, you know, radical Islamic terrorism, like, all of a sudden, you're gonna get a lot of phone calls if you're like, some mattress company, and Sam Harris is reading your ad, which I think he did do some. Then oh, wow. uh, the Red Scare, uh, the ladies at Red Scare, way too controversial. They're using, you know, very colorful language. And then um, Brady Sinellis was advertising based, and then he did Patreon. And then some average, some uh, Tim Dillon, somebody told me makes a bunch of money. So, mm. you know, it's completely possible for those folks if they have a really. It's interesting. It's like it's, you're just sort of describing like cable versus HBO, right? It's totally. like once yeah. you get on HBO, you can say whatever you want and show all the boobs. But if you're on cable, you got to keep it tight and it's ad supported. I mean, only yeah. fans. What I've heard is that, you know, vast, vast majority of their revenue comes from content that couldn't exist on Instagram for similar reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram does not. I mean, I can take my shirt off on Instagram, no problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> For most of us, learning a second language in school, it was a joke, right? I was supposed to learn French, I didn't learn anything. But here's the thing, now you can learn thanks to Babbel. Babbel is a learning app that sold over 10 million subscriptions. I kid you not. And there's a reason they've sold 10 million. Because instead of using AI, their lessons were created by 100 language experts. Right now, producer Nick is learning Italian, huh? So he can take his Italian side and he can go, when he goes back to Italy to see his people, he can speak the language, he can order some food, he can have a conversation. And he's loving Babbel because they have quick hit 15 minute lessons. They offer 14 different languages right now, Spanish, French, Italian, German, and Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. Podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. It's all inside of Babbel. And if you need more proof, a study done by Yale showed that 100% of Babbel users improved their oral proficiency in just three months. Right now, you can save up to 60% on your subscription to Babbel at babbel.com slash twist. That's babbel.com slash twist for up to 60% off. B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash twist. Babbel, language for life. This is a good tie into the article, I think. It is, yeah, exactly. It's a good perfect thinking, pivot. Okay, so, you... so let's talk about standards. <laughs> okay. right. So you've got okay. this piece, and I want to talk to you about timing a little bit. You've got this sure. piece out uh, just you know a few days ago, the standards innovation paradox, sort of explaining, I think, for people who aren't that familiar still i mean we've abstracted away so many of the guts of podcasting that i think <laughs> a lot of people don't really even understand still that we're just talking about rss still yeah. real simple syndication <laughs> like you have this piece breaking down how open standards can enable something to exist in a lot of different ways but then also prevent it from innovating so yeah. walk us through a little bit what you're saying sure. here and why sure well maybe i'll start with the why i'll, I'll go backwards yeah the why is is actually um it's pretty simple. This is basically something I've been thinking about for the past eight years because I, I built Anchor, which, as we just talked about, was based on a standard. Then I sold it to Spotify and I got to see how it works to, to build products based on standards. And, so, you know, I got to see it in a startup and I got to see it in a big company. Um, I've been a creator myself, right? So I, I've seen this from all sides and I'm really fascinated by this paradox, which 
which I've observed. And um, I'm off for the summer and I've been writing and doing things I haven't been able to do for a long time. And I was like, I'm going to write about this. So that was the why. But the what is basically this. Standards are awesome. As you mentioned, they enable products to basically find an audience. For people that don't know, maybe the listeners that don't know exactly what a standard is, the way to think of it is it's just a common language. It's a common language for systems on the internet to talk to each other, whether it be software or hardware. And because this language already exists, it's been standardized, basically dramatically reduces the barrier to entry for new products or services, right? So if I want to build a new podcast player or a new email client, I don't have to come up with this language to interact with all the different stakeholders and services inside of this type of product environment. I just adopt the standard. And so, like I said, this leads to more products, which leads to uh, more choice for customers, oftentimes data portability, lots of other benefits. And, um, and really like most of the great innovations of the internet wouldn't exist without standards. The other thing I think is worth pointing out is standards are technically extensible and changeable. However, and this is where the paradox comes in, when a standard achieves scale, right? When many, many stakeholders adopt the standard, what you end up with is lots and lots of fragmentation, lots of players in an ecosystem. And so when a change gets proposed, uh, you basically have too many people that have to come to an agreement for the change to be adopted. And you basically end up in stagnation where no one can agree on anything and the standard effectively becomes fixed. And that's why there's a paradox, right? Standards are great. They help products achieve product market fit. But over time, the standard stagnates and all of the benefits that you wanted to get out of it in the first place become effectively impossible. So um, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic that has taken place in podcasts. And I argue in the piece that this is why there has been mostly stagnation to the format of podcasting over the past 20 years. But this has happened lots of times. Like yeah. messaging is another great example, mm-hmm. right? And SMS. here's a chart. Yeah, yeah. here's a chart um, yeah, yeah, that you chart. drew, mm-hmm. which I thought was clever. Oh, which thanks. is, you know, when you're building with standards, um, you know, you get this great rush in the beginning, but then it kind of becomes hard because everybody's got to got to get consensus around this. And this is something that's going to happen in crypto with all these open projects, where you have a yep. voting mechanism as well. And then you have building with your proprietary tech. And the perfect example here would be, you know, um, RSS for blogs versus and versus Twitter. So, you know, yeah. Uh, and then it happened with podcasting. And for people who don't understand, anybody can put up an RSS feed, then anybody with a player can grab that RSS feed, or they can make a database of RSS feeds, and nobody owns it. So the person who wants to compete with Spotify or Apple podcasting or overcast or with, you know, anchor can just grab all the RSS feeds and start over. Now the challenge comes in, like you're saying, you want to add some feature which anchor did recently or Spotify did recently video. So Maybe you could explain you guys wanted to take audio and video and sync it perfectly uh, so that if a person was listening on Spotify in the new beta, which we're part of for This Week in Startups and All In, you turn your phone, the video just starts playing at the exact same point. But the standard didn't allow you to do that or it was a little challenge. Maybe you could yeah, use that as an example. And- yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that briefly again, not, not being an employee anymore. I, you know, I don't want to be uh, confused as being a spokesperson for Spotify, but just, yes. but just, just, just quickly, what I'll say is, yeah, video, video podcasts and RSS have existed for many years, but they don't support the seamless transition between video and audio. And so if you go onto a standard podcast player and you download a video pod or you go to listen to a video podcast, your phone is effectively downloading the entire audio file up front or video file up front, which might, by the way, might be 500 megabytes. That might use up like, yeah, yeah, gigantic. So although there is support for it, there is poor support for it. And so to to change the way that that operates, you have two options. One, you could go and change the standard of, of podcasts. But as we talked about, given how many players there are, that becomes extremely hard. Or you just do something new. Now, a startup will have a really hard time doing something new because they don't have an existing audience they can plug themselves into. But bigger companies that already have distribution channels can effectively leverage those distribution channels to launch new products. And I think iMessage is a great example of this, right? So uh, history of messaging, text messaging, SMS was the standard. It launched, uh, it was invented sometime in the 80s. It didn't even get to scale, though, until late in the 90s, because, again, 
you needed all of these handset manufacturers and carriers to agree on messaging, right? Um, then somebody said, hey, let's add pictures to text messaging. Wouldn't that be great? But because of the stagnation of the standard, you couldn't do it. And so a whole new standard had to be invented. That was MMS. Took about another 10 years. Then Apple says, hey, we have this product called the iPhone. It's got millions and millions and millions of users. Uh, We're just going to do our own thing because we already have a distribution channel to tens or hundreds of millions of people. And we're going to call that iMessage. And that's not beholden to the SMS standard. And so we can do anything we want. We put in full resolution images. We put in group features. We put in you know, voice memos, all this amazing stuff. And, uh, and because they were big enough, that meant that they didn't necessarily have to rely on the standard to get distribution for new features. But obviously startups in that example are at a complete opposite advantage to that. They, they need the standard. So it's, it's just a really, really interesting dynamic. Now I will say, since we're on messaging, I think, you know, again, we said up top that ben- uh, the benefits of standards is that They give consumers choice. They give consumers data portability. Consumers like open standards. And so the other thing I think is really important when a company innovates on top of a standard instead of changing it is to offer backwards compatibility, which iMessage does. And we all know this for those of us that have an iPhone. You message somebody on Android, what happens? Turns green, falls back to the standard. Jesus, yeah. Text turn green. But that's what makes it work. Not to even complicate it it more, but now there's like the RCS standard that's been taking, you know, that's taken just as long to get adopted. And then iMessage leaped ahead. Um, Okay. But so there is a version of this and, and, you know, yes, you just said you're not an employee of Spotify, but there is a version (laughs) of this that must have been sparked in some way by the conversations in Spotify. Because we talked (laughs) even on the show, Jason was, you know, somewhat strident in addressing Daniel Eck on this topic because Spotify is effectively starting to creep toward breaking podcast standards in order to do some of this innovation. You know, uh, like I said, uh, I, I can't really... Mike's like, yeah, let me speak for the PR department. I'm just saying it must <laughs> I have, could speak maybe for Mike. Here's maybe the it thing. brought it into focus for here's, you. Here's what happens. <laughs> this is actually a really good discussion to have. The people who are in podcasting don't want to see Spotify or Apple or Google do what uh, Apple is doing to iMessage, which is break everything and take too much control. It's better for all of us that there is a fragmented level playing field and Spotify has some audience, Apple has some audience, Google has some audience, Overcast and a thousand flowers bloom and players, etc. And we're not beholden to anybody. So when we had the opportunity to be in the video, I said, I don't know if I want to do this. And I CC Daniel on the emails and just said, listen, I I don't want you breaking podcasts. I don't want you to force me to use anchor. I should use anchor if I want to. I already have an RSS feed. And they guaranteed me, listen, it's going to be backwards compatible. And you'll eventually be able to use your own RSS video feed with this. We're just trying to figure it out or whatever. And so I took it on good faith. But if Spotify overplayed their hand or anybody did, I would just call them out publicly like I'm doing here. And that's what all people who are on the other side of this podcasters, should absolutely give it to any player, any platform that tries to screw the standard. Because if they screw the standard, then it's we're going to go into Zuckerberg land, we're going to go into iMessage land, where no more innovation is going to happen. And so that is the, the key thing here is sure innovate along the margins. But Mike, to your go point, backwards. I think it's very reasonable, but just make it backward compatible. And yeah, then people exactly. can make a decision. And then people who are in the industry should be very vocal. So Adam Curry, who was, you know, the pod father has been very vocal about this stuff. And, you know, it's up to the standards committees and for those folks to find consensus, Molly, I think, to keep the ball moving forward so that people just don't give up on it. Because tw- what essentially Twitter did at some point was I think they've removed RSS support. And they were just like, yeah, you, you can't, su- you can't subscribe to somebody correct me if I'm wrong here, but you used to be able to go to twitter.com slash Jason slash RSS, I think where they had some very easy URL structure, and you could actually subscribe to somebody's Twitter in an RSS feed. I don't know if you can still do that or not. I don't think you can. I I think they deprecated it. And so it kind of sucks. Exactly. And that's like exactly what you're saying, which is look, RSS took us this far. And in order for podcasting to you know, I mean, because another thing we've been saying about podcasting for almost 20 years is it doesn't make any money. So in order for it to make some money has to evolve has to evolve. There's another interesting example of this that's happening right now in real time. And I've seen a few people talking about it, but I don't know if it's been fully acknowledged yet, which is with Substack, right? So Substack 
awesome product enables creators to build subscription, uh, subscription newsletter businesses, right? And they distribute those newsletters over email, right? Which is, by the way, a brilliant startup strategy because everyone in the world has email. So you have an infinite pool of consumers to potentially tap into. But what became, I think, pretty clear with Substack from, from my perspective, at least, is that they would eventually run into uh, problems of innovating on the format of the newsletter, right? They can't do anything dynamic in an email client. They can't do personalized discovery. They can't do real-time comments. They, they can't do anything dynamic. And so um, thought it was clever, but maybe not surprising that a few, you know, a few months ago, I think it was, they launched an app. Yep. And now if you go to any, su- any Substack uh, page on the web, it says, view this in our app. And I have to imagine that they can do really, really great things in the app, right? They can probably personalize discovery and ultimately make, you know, make creators more money by gaining them more exposure. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if you, we see them really lean hard into the app. But I think what they will also do is respect the standard going backwards. They will probably never get rid of the ability to. Well, here's the good anymore, news. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When they pulled that, um, a bunch of their writers, I believe Casey... Newton Newton called them out on it. And Mm. he is one of the people that they pay to move to the platform. (laughs) And he called them out on it. He's like, hey, listen, the default is to not get the email. I I don't want this. I don't want to beg Substack to get the emails of the people who subscribe through the app. So this is the obscurification. And this is the slow boil that big companies do to screw over content creators. And I'm not saying Substack intentionally did this. But somebody who is making product decisions said, you know what, if we own the emails, and Casey doesn't have the emails of this group of users, and we don't go to their email box, we have more control over them. And if, you know, whatever platform now, they host your RSS feed, and they are 49% of your distribution, now they can exert control of it, they can say, hey, you have to, we have to read your data. And that was the other thing I went to town on Daniel was like, listen, I care about the privacy of our users. What are you, are you going to resell this week in startups and all in users? Because I had people do that as well. And they insure, assured me they did not. Because they could just say, take all in in this week in startups, call it tech business finance. And then they just sell the general category of tech business finance and the ad that happens before this week in startups. You know, when pe- I guess the, the, the platforms don't insert ads dynamically without permission. That would be illegal to do and you get sued. But they do have ads before or after in between podcasts. For what it's worth, um, you know, you, you mentioned this is how big companies screw creators. I don't know the Substack team. I've actually never yeah. met anyone over there, but I, I, I doubt that uh, that they have any. Uh, yeah, I don't think that was the intent intention. here. Yeah. I think I think what they want to do, and I actually think it's probably um, pretty noble, is they probably want to help the discovery of smaller newsletter writers that can't find an audience automatically that don't have massive Twitter followings. Yes. And they probably want to figure out how to do discovery at scale, which they can only do in an app, which I think is probably to the benefit of everyone in an ecosystem. I think with that, I think it's more nefarious. I think they want to create a bundle. I think they want to charge ah. people 24 bucks a month to get up to five and then split it five bucks each. And then a, now all of a sudden you are more beholden. So this is where mm-hmm. the platform's interests can diverge yeah. from the top people in the ecosystem versus the bottom people, right? And right. so the the platform naturally wants to help everybody and make it simple for users and push people to the top. But then the people who are already on the top are like, I, I didn't sign up for this. And so yeah. that's the natural give and take where you have to speak up if you are in these ecosystems. And it's a bit of a negotiation, right? The big, the big fish in the small pond never wants the pond to get bigger. You know, they never want, yeah. they never want it to get bigger and, and for smaller or, fish to be able to take a oh, go ahead. or you know they just might want to run their business the, the way they want it yeah. so they don't mind the, the small fish being there but they don't want to be have their approach compromised like i understand case's position i yeah. want to own those emails and i want to be able to move anytime i i, I can so what's uh no, what's next for you? you 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 leave you start in angel investing tell me uh any interesting angel investments you've landed so far and 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 what's next for you yeah. So, well, one quick one. I want to say one more thing on Spotify before we wrap up. Yes. Just to, connected to what I said about Substack. Um, you know, I, I'm sure they want to um, they they want to help the writers and the and the consumers. One of the reasons I loved working at Spotify, and one of the reasons we sold back to an earlier question, is because I truly did feel that, like us, remember I talked about being a mission driven startup. They were very very mission driven as well. Um, like. You know, people see big company, big tech company. They think, you know, it, it's easy to make that company the enemy or the bad guy. But 
Spotify truly is a company that wants to enable you know, tens of millions of creators to be able to live off their art and billions of fans to have a great experience. So, you know, uh, it's a I great believe company. That too. And yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and anyway. that just, but with great power comes great responsibility. Comes great all responsibility. Of sudden, all yeah. of a sudden you, you're 30, 40, 50% of the distribution, like Susan Wojcicki has to deal with at YouTube. Now you inherit a bunch of other problems, which is, okay, if you, if you were overcast and you're like, I don't want to have... I don't want people to be able to subscribe to this particularly toxic person. You know, nobody even notices, but now you're Spotify, now you're censoring, you know, and then Spotify has got to say, we're not publishers. And I'm like, really? You're not publishers. Okay, you you bought all these podcasts, mm -hmm. you sell ads on them, and you distribute them. <laughs> Give me a break, Daniel. You're a publisher. And Mike's like, not my problem. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave that one. <laughs> well, I mean, I understand why you want to pretend. I understand why Daniel wants to pretend he's not a publisher because then he can say, I'm. You know, it's, I don't I don't know what's inside of these, you know, podcasts. It's up to them. But it's like you're monetizing them, you're publishing them, you're, you're choosing, distributing them, you're and you're promoting them. them yeah, you're making choices. It would be different if it was Overcast. Overcast could say we're not a publisher because they're not, you know, making any editorial decisions. Uh, moving on, tell me about we'll angel let, investing. What I tried yeah. to do that. Unless you want to jump into the fray. No, on, no, no. We'll, we'll, on we'll let that one continue. Huh? I'll we'll let, let here's the third rail. Would you? I can hand you <laughs> the grenade. Would you like to step on it? Well, here's the no, grenade. It's just right here. Hey, I can toss it back and forth until it explodes <laughs> in somebody's lap. We'll let that one continue in the comments section. Uh, so yeah, angel investing. I started a few years ago. I mean, I, I loved being a founder. I love the zero to one stuff. I loved, you know, searching for product market fit, positioning, all that, all that fun stuff. And so started doing it a few years ago when I was thinking about what I wanted to do next. You know, I had always really been excited. I told you in the beginning of this conversation, I love the idea of helping people create. You know, we did that with photos at Aviary. We did that uh, with podcasts at Anchor. I view investing as a way to help founders create businesses. And so uh, I've been really enjoying that. And so uh, in a couple of months, I'm going to be starting up a full-time investing role. Can't say what it is right now, but uh, maybe you can have me back if you're if you're so gracious and willing to do so. And I Absolutely. can announce and that. Welcome to the launch team. Congratulations <laughs> on coming to work here. <laughs> everybody thinks I'm just hiring everybody. It's like, I just hired Molly. <laughs> Literally, I'm now getting like tons of people who are like, hey, you hired Molly. How about me? I'm the spree. I'm, this is I'm the like, spree. I don't have an unlimited bankroll here to hire everybody. <laughs> Not yet. I'm working on it. Not yet. All right. Listen, uh, Molly, do you, do you, yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you give us the, uh, how people can find, I know it'll be in the show notes, but how can people it'll find notes, yeah. Mike and find his piece? Cause yeah, it's really so worth piece, reading and, and meditating on. Definitely read this. I mean, this is such a great kind of, uh, epilogue, you know, coming out of what you've built a great, uh, rumination on the way that tech develops and is going to develop. It's just fantastic. It's called the Standards Innovation Paradox, mignano.medium.com. M-I-G-N-A-N-O. Mike, thanks for yes. coming on. It's great. Thanks, Mike. You thanks awesome. for having me. This is fun. Thanks, Mike, for joining the show. Make sure you follow Molly and I on Twitter. I'm at Jason. She's at Molly Wood. Follow the show at TWI Startups. And if you love the show, why not give us a five-star review on Apple? And, uh, you know, I read those and once in a while I reach out to somebody. So make sure you use your full name there uh, in the in the review so I can reach out to you and find you on Twitter. Or you can just email me a screenshot of your review. Uh, I always love when somebody does that. Sometimes I even send somebody uh, a little swag if they do. So, you know, my email, jason at calacanis.com for the rest of my life. You can slide into my DMs and say hello. And we're looking for questions for Ask Jason and Ask Molly uh, and Ask Zach, Ask an Angel. So if you have any questions, just at mention me on Twitter. You can send it to me on Twitter or you can email producers at thisweekinstartups.com. If you send us a video of yourself asking the question, we'll use it on air and you can get a little promotion for your startup uh, or whatever you're working on your Twitter handle. All right, everybody, we'll see you tomorrow.